Hello and welcome to another edition of Problematic Women, a podcast and Facebook Live show that showcases strong conservative women, current events, and the hypocrisy of the feminist left. My name is Kelsey Harkness and I'm a senior news producer with The Daily Signal. I'm Jenny Maltabano, a contributor to The Daily Signal. Jenny's joining me this week after a couple days that we spent together down in Texas interviewing students and survivors of that Santa Fe shooting. It was quite an emotional week with a lot of very heavy interviews, but it was also a really enlightening week and a really encouraging week. You have not heard a lot from these students in Santa Fe, and I think that their perspectives on things like the Second Amendment are part of that. So, Jenny, I'm curious what you thought uh, before we get into everything we have to cover this week, which is a lot. There were a lot of problematic women this week. But really quick, this was an important trip we went on. Um, You know, the Santa Fe shooting actually just had the one month anniversary this week. You'd think you'd be hearing more from the students, but really there was a blackout in the media. And I'm curious what you thought of, of our time down there. Well, it was incredibly eye-opening and very moving. So many of these students, they've been through so much. Many of them who we talked to were seniors. This happened right before they were supposed to graduate. You know, their lives will never be the same, and they went through something horrific, and the media very much did them wrong. You know, at first, they descended upon them. Many of these students were being contacted by networks while they were still hiding, while the shooting was still going on. And then after the media realized that a bunch of these students are pro-Second Amendment, they vanished. And, and so be found. I really applaud you for leading the charge of going down there because their stories deserve to be told, even if it doesn't fit the mainstream media's narrative. Well, we'll have a documentary feature out uh, in the next couple of weeks. So stay tuned for that. Um, but in the meantime, let's jump into it. So this week, it seems like everyone and everything is a Nazi. Interestingly enough, though, Ginny, it started with the Pope. <laughs> so who would have thought? <laughs> who would have thought? So on Saturday, Pope Francis said the use of abortion to end pregnancies of disabled or chronically ill children was the product of a Nazi mentality. He called he uh, called abortion the quote white glove equivalent to Nazi crimes and said, and quoting here, it is fashionable or at least usual. That when in the first few months of a pregnancy, doctors do studies to see if the child is healthy or has something, the first idea is let's send it away. We do the same as the Nazis to maintain the purity of the race, but with white gloves on. So these very strong and powerful remarks came on the heels of his home country, Argentina, voting to legalize abortion, and they were following in the footsteps of Ireland, which did so just a few weeks earlier. Ginny, your thoughts? You know, this happened the same week that all of this immigration fallout has also happened. And I think that there is a very real danger of comparing everything we don't like to Nazism or fascism. However, I do think that the Pope has a point here. It's not a direct contrast or parallel, but I do think that obviously abortion, it's, it's killing the baby. So I didn't think that this comparison was necessarily wrong. In fact, I found it to be very powerful. Well, not only is it abortion actually an act of killing, but abortion is an act of trying to eradicate certain traits and certain characteristics. For example, Down syndrome. I will never forget that CBS report 
that um, said Iceland has almost eradicated abortion as if this were something to celebrate. And when people heard that report, they realized you didn't actually solve Down syndrome medically. You literally have almost killed all the children in the womb who were diagnosed with Down syndrome. And that's why there are almost no babies in, um, excuse me, Iceland, not Ireland, Iceland, um, who have Down syndrome. Um, this, I, you know, sometimes is a very personal issue to me when it comes to uh, the practice of aborting children, babies in the womb with Down syndrome, because I have a cousin who has Down syndrome and she brings so much joy into all of our lives. She is the best wedding guest. You want her at every wedding. And I think that God put children uh, with Down syndrome on this planet for a reason. And I, I think that's because they really teach us the joy that the little things in life have to bring. Um, so I, while I'm with you, I push back on, on, um, I'd push back on the many accusations of Nazism this week. I, I think the Pope is, is onto something when he, when he compared it to the white, white glove of, uh, Nazism. Kudos to him for bringing that up. So next up, I'm sure many of you know Kimberly Guilfoyle. She's a popular Fox News host. She co-hosts The Five, which has just incredible ratings consistently. And it was recently made public and verified that she is dating Donald Trump Jr. Um, And many on the left absolutely freaked out about this. And there were calls for her to resign from Fox, to give up her career. Uh, And I want to read you the New New York Daily News columnist Linda Stassi wrote this piece on Kimberly Guilfoyle, talked about all of her previous relationships, and she ended the piece with this racist quip. She said that Kimberly would be better off picking grapes. Now, Kimberly is Puerto Rican, and this was incredibly offensive. And Linda Sassy did go back, and she took it out of the piece. But you have to think, Kelsey, I mean, this got through several editors. This was looked at by multiple sets of eyes, and everyone was okay with it. So they just retract it because there was outrage, as there should have been. And I want to add... You know, Kimberly is dating Donald Trump Jr. The family in and of itself, have they've kept this very tight. In fact, Vanessa Trump put out a statement on Twitter during all of this. I want to read it to you. It says, the lengths people will go to attack a woman simply because she's dating Don. We've been separated for over nine months and respect each other's decisions and privacy. We'll focus on raising our great kids. Would be nice if the press did the same rather than obsess over our private lives. I thought that was incredibly powerful. It took a lot of the oxygen out of the press's argument. Um, and this past weekend, as fate would have it, I had a chance to interview Kimberly Guilfoyle. And I kept her personal life out of it because the point of my interview was to talk about her career. Um, but she did talk about the media hypocrisy and the media's treatment of women in the Trump administration. Listen to this. So it's sad because these are really incredibly bright, strong, patriotic women serving their country admirably at great personal sacrifice. They've been given really an adult and unfair hand by the media who's just very dishonest in the way that they cover them, portray them, and really dishonor the sacrifice mm-hmm. and the service that they give to, you know, to all of us each and every day. So for me, I just wish that they were better about in fact, being honest about what the accomplishments are, what the sacrifices are, and really the personal attacks are just quite, you know, uh, disgusting. And I've felt and experienced personal attacks, you know, myself yes. based on beliefs um, and, you know, being a conservative woman. And, not, you know, I just think it's very, uh, it's unfair. It's not building other people up, that's for sure. And it I is. certainly don't like it when other women uh, do it to one another. 
So Kelsey, you know, for me as a young conservative woman, I really admire Kimberly Guilfoyle. Getting to interview her was an incredible experience, especially as a young female conservative who's gone into politics and media. And to see these kind of personal attacks and hatred on her was really disappointing. And I was glad to see that people banded together to defend her. And that honestly, she's living her best life. I I think um, this was an example of the media trying to report on a scandal that doesn't exist, mm-hmm. which, you know, I would say is pretty much the norm in in the mainstream media today. But proof of that is Vanessa's statement, um, you know, Dawn's ex-wife, the statement that she put out that basically said she's OK with them dating. They're separated. This isn't a scandal. Get out of our private lives. So. Uh, I, I almost think the media, you know, should be a little bit embarrassed by this treatment, should be a lot embarrassed, more than embarrassed in regards to those racist comments telling uh, Kimberly that she's better off picking grapes. I mean, you can only imagine if somebody that that comment was made by somebody on the right in regards to somebody who's Hispanic, that person would be out of a job and not writing for any publication anymore. But of course, I'm sure. Does Linda Stasi still have a job, Jenny? I believe she does. <laughs> Shocker. Yeah. Well, there you go. We're not done with media hypocrisy, though. Nope. So I want to highlight the story of um, a major New York Times correction that had to be issued this week. So this this story was brought um, was brought to the attention of me by our friend Larry O'Connor, the radio ho- radio show host in D.C., uh, host of the R- Larry O'Connor show. And he caught this, you know, pretty major correction that the New York Times had to issue. So here's the backstory. New York Times, there basically has been a massive campaign against EPA Administrator Scott Pruitt because heaven forbid you're effective in your job, um, you're implementing conservative policies, you're rolling back regulations that are hurting the economy. You know the press is coming after you. There's a target on your back. So uh, the latest story uh, was about uh, Pruitt allegedly forcing his employees at the EPA to do personal favors for the administrator and his family. So one of the prime examples as evidence of this in this piece was that Pruitt used his position as Trump's man at the EPA to get his daughter admitted to the University of Virginia Law School. So the problem with this is it didn't just affect Pruitt. This also implied that his daughter could not get into UVA law school based on her own records. She only could get in because her father knew the right person and she got daddy, daddy's friend to write her a recommendation. Well, it turns out the entire story about that was fake news. So this is uh, from Larry O'Connor in the Washington Times, quote, in a massive correction, the Times explains that not only did the recommendation for Pruitt's daughter, a thing that pretty much every student acquires when applying for a prestigious school like UVA law, was obtained not only before Pruitt was EPA administrator, it happened before the presidential election in 2016. Well, here is what the correction says word for word from the New York Times. Quote, the law school, which had declined to comment for the article because of privacy concerns, issued a statement on Saturday saying Ms. Pruitt had given the school permission to confirm that she had been offered early admission in late November 2016 and that the, quote, application was evaluated according to our usual admissions procedure. The material about Ms. Pruitt's application has been removed from the article. 
I think this is a huge issue because kids of these public figures should not be targeted. They should not be in the media. I mean, look at Donald Trump's kids, Ivanka, Eric, Donald Trump Jr. They're older. They're politically active. I would say they're they're fair targets for criticism. But you look at someone like Barron or Tiffany Trump or Scott Pruitt's daughter, Nikki Haley's kids, they are not fair game. And when you mess up like this, such a huge error, it just makes your whole organization look awful. And it only hurts their credibility and feeds into the whole fake news idea. Exactly. It it it's it, it looks bad, not only, you know, proves that they're in such a desperate campaign to bring down the EPA administrator that they're willing to publish fake news. But this one goes one step further because this is about someone's daughter who has probably worked very hard to get herself into law school. And the story implied that daddy's friend did it for her. So I found it pretty, a pretty egregious example of fake news. I'm glad they issued the correction. Um, but you're right. When when the mainstream media pushes back against fake news, you know, you present these examples to them and, and you say, well, stop publishing fake news then. So this next story is pretty cute. The prime minister of New Zealand gave birth and this makes her only the second elected leader in modern history to give birth while in office. She's 37 years old and she passed on her duties to her deputy prime minister and she's going to take six weeks of maternity leave. Yeah, so this actually reminded me, six weeks of maternity leave, I thought that that's a good amount of time. And she did, I think she will be working a little bit in between, but that is a very important time to spend um, with her with her newborn. So I hope she does, you know, take the time that she needs. Um, but today I'm hosting a debate, debate about maternity leave policies between two conservative women, which I love because debates are so often between someone on the left mm-hmm. and someone on the right. But actually... What we're seeing here by this event uh, sponsored by the Network of Enlightened Women, which is a great organization uh, that gets young conservative women involved in the conversation and host debates like this, um, we're, we're showing that conservatives can have disagreements and also still like each other and get along and be productive and work towards a solution. So the two... Uh, the two women that are going to be debating, I'm moderating the debate. We have Carrie Lucas, president of the Independent Women's Forum, and Rachel Gresler, who is here at the Heritage Foundation. The best part about this, Ginny, <laughs> is that Carrie Lucas is a mother of five. Oh, my God. Rachel Gresler is a mother of six. So we kids. have two moms with basketball teams of children debating maternity leave policies on the conservative side and how we can best support women in their careers. So check out more of that online. Get involved with that network of enlightened women. They're a great group and I am honored to be a part of that debate. When we come back, we will jump into our next segment called This is What Feminism Looks Like. Welcome back. We're going to go ahead with our next segment. This is what feminism looks like. And so earlier today, Melania Trump pulled off a surprise visit to McAllen, Texas. Now, this week has been exploding in the news with all of this immigration debate and fallout about children being separated from their parents, being kept in cages. It's very emotional. Um, There's not a lot of facts going around. Everybody's got an opinion. And so Melania Trump, just classic move, gets on a plane, keeps it a secret, no leaks, no leaks 
gets off a plane in Texas, has a press pool with her, and asks some really solid questions. Now, of course, this did not happen without a little bit of fake news. Almost immediately after she got off the plane, many people on the left were saying, oh, surprise visit. Of course, she didn't take any press with her. Well, not quite. They did take press, but one of the ground rules was that the press couldn't say anything. So that's there was a huge pull there, including CNN. In fact, uh, CNN's Kate Bennett, who's on the FLOTUS beat, had to correct some of her own colleagues who were complaining about this because she was <laughs> About news not being allowed to be there. She didn't be, exactly. Uh, actually, I'm, I'm here, here, guys. So that was really great to so see her. It, this was to a, a detention facility, correct, for children? Yes. Okay. Yes. And she got to interact with a lot of the kids. That part was close to the cameras. But she asked very basic questions. You know, how how often do they get to call their families? And she said in her opening remarks, I want to know what I can do to help. You know, her campaign that she unveiled is Be Best. It's about children's well-being. It encompasses several different aspects and issues, very broad. Clearly, this is something that she's able to take the lead on. And she did. Apparently, she went to the Oval Office and told the president, I'm going to Texas. He said, okay. (laughs) I love that. She 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 is a strong woman and she will do what she wants. And it seems like President Trump is OK with that. Um, and, and he's also not afraid of her undermining uh, his agenda, which I give him a lot of credit for. And I give the two of them together a lot of credit for it, because I think a lot of presidents would look at the press that w- the media attention this issue was getting and say, no, you know, the press is going to draw conclusions from that. But both of them are strong and confident enough um, to be able to pull to to be able to act independently, but pull off trips like this and shed a positive. I, I hope a positive light that you know the administration does care about these children um, who are or were being separated by their parents at the border. I think it's a great issue for Melania to get involved with. Um, I think we have a video uh, of, of do. some of the questions that she asked. Thank you so much for having me here today. I'm glad I'm here and I'm looking forward to seeing and meeting children. But first of all, uh, let me begin to recognize each of you and thanking you for all what you do, uh, for your heroic work uh, that you do every day and uh, what you do for those children. We all know they're having, they're here without their families. And uh, I want to thank you for your hard work, your compassion, and your kindness you're giving them in these difficult times. I'm here to learn about your facility, and which I know you house children on a long-term basis. And I also like to ask you how I can help to these children to reunite with their families. I really enjoyed seeing her take the lead on this issue. Press was allowed to stay in there while she asked all of her questions. She was strong. She was confident. I hope we see more of it. All right, we're going to take a quick break. And when we get back, we'll crown our problematic woman of the week. And we're back with problematic women. It is time for the honor of crowning the most problematic woman of the week this week. Jenny, it was pretty obvious. The honor has to go to Department of Homeland Security Secretary Christian Nielsen. So in case you missed it, our DHS secretary sat down for dinner after a very long and public day of defending the Trump administration's decision to 
fully enforce the U.S. immigration laws against all who illegally cross the border, a policy which, by the way, that, you know, some cases can result in separating children from their illegal immigrant parents due to a settlement that we entered into in 1997 by the Clinton administration. A lot of people are leaving that detail conveniently out. Uh, So she sat down for dinner after a tough day, I would say, of facing the press and defending this policy. And she chose MXDC, uh, a, a Mexican restaurant, uh, in in the district here, and she's sitting in the back corner, and then all of a sudden she gets swarmed by protesters who walk inside the restaurant and for 11 full minutes scream things at her, such as shame, 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 fastest pig, end Texas concentration camps, no borders, no walls, sanctuary for all. Clearly, we know what their bigger picture agenda is here. Here's a quick clip of those protests. Shame! 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 So that went on for a full 11 minutes. You can watch the the, the whole 11 minutes over at the DC branch of the Democrat Democratic Socialists of America, which was the group that uh tweeted the restaurant name and exact address where the secretary was dining. Uh, They were encouraging people to join along. Nobody in the restaurant stopped them or asked them to leave. Christian Nielsen just sat there for 11 minutes and took it. Eventually, she was harassed her way out of the restaurant, had to leave without eating dinner. And what I was most shocked by, because... Let's be real. I'm not that shocked to see these ugly protests uh, in in today's era. Unfortunately, they're pretty normal. I was shocked to see feminist writers supporting them. Uh, One example, Jessica Valenti, the feminist writer who I would say pretty infamously wrote that New York Times op-ed telling conservative women they can't be feminists. Uh, So she called these protests, quote, very satisfying to watch and said, quote, she should never be able to show her face in public again. So obviously Valenti received some pushback from this, some questions. Well, how can you champion women if you're egging on and encouraging uh, them to be harassed and bullied out of a restaurant? So here was her attempt to justify it. To the folks replying, it's not feminist to harass women. That's true. But it is absolutely feminist to hold powerful people accountable, no matter what their gender, no matter where they are, for the crimes they commit against vulnerable children. So this is always what the left standard is. We have a standard, but that standard doesn't apply for Republicans, for Republican women. Um, There's always exceptions. If you don't support their policies, what it really comes down to is that their high moral standards don't exist. They're willing to compromise them. They're willing to justify any sort of harassment and bullying if you don't agree with their with with their politics. I wrote a piece about this over at The Federalist, and I thought Sean Davis, uh, one of the co-founders of The Federalist, summed up my piece pretty well in case you guys don't have time to read it. Feminism is all about protecting the rights of women unless those women are Republicans, in which case they're literally Hitler. 
I feel like that's pretty much what happened here. Ginny, what did you think of all this? I agree with you completely, and I thought that your Federalist piece was awesome. It was also super impressive because I watched her type it out on her iPhone <laughs> as we were flying back at 1 in the morning from our shoot in Santa Fe, Texas. So Guilty. You know, go ahead and read it because she she did a great job I on it. I worked hard on that. Now you know the behind the scenes. <laughs> it was incredible to watch. But no, you have you have a great point. Um, no one likes this policy. No one likes to see photos of these children separated. That's why Melania Trump got on a plane earlier today. President Trump said during his cabinet meeting he didn't like the photos. Ivanka didn't like the photos. No one likes to see this. However, this is a very complicated issue that actually won't be solved long term unless Congress does something with legislation. Um, So here we have this Homeland Security Secretary. She's doing her best to uphold the law. She's opening up dialogues for conversation. And then after a brutal day where she, don't forget, she did that press conference this week and just took all of the heat from reporters. I thought she did an excellent job of laying out the facts while also being compassionate and trying to find solutions. It's not over yet. Well, and she didn't decide. People are people are acting as if she decided this policy. But this policy is based on um, on law. And that's, I think, what she was trying to say. You know, even she might personally disagree mm-hmm. with the policy. And I think people are assuming that she doesn't. But what she's doing is enforcing the law. And whose job is it to change the law, both Democrats and Republicans in Congress? You make a great point. Like I said, the executive order can only do so much. Now Congress has it's time for them to play ball and do something on it. You know, I I find it interesting that they've been talking to a lot of Democrat um, congressmen saying, you know, where were you when this was happening under Obama? And they have an interesting point there. So here she is trying to get a bite to eat after a brutal week, a brutal day, and she is harassed out of the restaurant. Um, It's very disappointing. Yeah, and I think that bullying is such a national epidemic right now that it really is sad to see thought leaders encourage it. We look at what's happening in classrooms. We teach our children not to bully others. And then we have these feminist leaders, such as Jessica Valenti, encourage the bullying of a public official because she doesn't like that public official's policy. I think it's hypocritical. I think it's not just bad politics. I think it's bad for civil society, and it does not set a good example for children. If children are the ones that they're really concerned about, which is what they claim here, then they should act like adults and set a better example. Michelle Obama is the one who said, when they go low, we go high. Well, I think this was a pretty obvious example of them going pretty low. Mm-hmm. It was. Sad to see. All right, everyone, that wraps our show for this week. Thank you all for tuning in. And as always, if you know of a problematic woman, please let us know. You can follow my work at The Daily Signal or on Twitter at Jenny Maltabano. And you can follow my work at The Daily Signal or on Twitter at Kelsey J. Harkness. This podcast is a collaboration of The Daily Signal and The Federalist and is produced by Lauren Evans of The Daily Signal. If you like it, please support us by rating us and subscribing on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. We appreciate you sharing problematic women with your friends and for supporting strong conservative women who are standing up for America's culture. 